Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a podcast where we share the untold stories of the people who make law firms operate. I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase, and I'm really excited about today's guest because for the first time ever, we're going to take an inside look at not only what it takes to start a firm, but everything that goes into closing one down as well. And I'm Amanda Copeless, the better half of this crazy show. I'm the Executive Director for Sheffield, Lohman & Wilson, a mid-sized law firm based out of Central Florida. Rob stole my excitement, but this week it's my turn to announce our guest, Kyle Wigand. Kyle is the Director of Operations at Browse McDowell LPA, where he oversees management and budgeting for almost every aspect of the firm. He also has the distinction of being the president of the foundation of the Association of Legal Administrators. So let me tell you, you're in for a treat today, but before we get started, I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power the growth of mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really happy to be here, and we will definitely show this millennial in our presence here what, what the 90s did. Ah, you're already Hell taking yeah. shots. Here we go. Uh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Kyle. So let's start out. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you got into legal. I was told by my parents in third grade that I was going to be a lawyer. And <laughs> I'm not sure how far back we go. I think I probably okay. filled out some tests or made a coloring book thing in kindergarten that, that alluded to the fact that I like to argue. And um, So I was supposed to be a lawyer. Fast forward a few years. I was in high school and I said, you know, I want to be an intern at a law firm. We in Cleveland have a strangely uh, large amount of, of law firms and law firm headquarters, Jones Day, Thompson Hine, a lot of big ones. So I reached out to a bunch and got literally, I think, one response, uh, no, and then 40 no replies. <laughs> this is when you actually type the letters. I and, was going to say, did you actually yeah. have to hand type letters and we, put them I all in the little mail and send computer. them on? Yep, okay. yep. <laughs> Lick the stamps probably before self-adhering stamps and uh, and heard back nothing. So Great start was, to the story. I was going to say, yeah, well, what a go-getter though. Like, go. I just, I want to pause on this because it takes a lot of effort, way yeah. more than just emailing. We didn't have email. No, think. no, okay. you're right. You're right. So I think there were, um, there might've been one or two probably calls made or, or, um, you know, someone knows someone who knows someone and lo and behold, Jones, they had a position in the mailroom where I could deliver the inner office mail. They didn't trust me with the external mail. I wasn't a <laughs> messenger. Okay. It was the mail that had already made it in the building. I was allowed to pass it out to <laughs> to uh, various floors. There's only certain yeah. floors you were allowed right. to go. I'm All picturing jokes. you and from big, like, you know, Tom Hanks pushes around that little mail yeah. cart and then oh, he just like moves all the way to the top. Yeah, we Is absolutely had a mail cart. Yeah, we okay. totally had a mail cart. <laughs> I'm sort of belaboring it to be, to, to add a little levity to the story, but that is where I started. But fast forward, um, I worked at Jones Day pretty much on and off throughout um, my later high school years into college where I went to, uh, I went to Fordham in New York city. So I thought, well, why not reach out to the New York city office and see if one day a week or so I could work there. So I did in their marketing department. And then my senior year, I worked as a, a project assistant. So I actually got a billing number and was billing clients and working on some litigation matters in the New York city office of Jones Day. In the what was your undergrad in? Early what 2000. were you studying? Political science and history. Okay. So 
because you were nope. still going to go to law school. Yeah, nowhere to go but nowhere to go but law school, Rob. <laughs> nowhere to go. There's literally you're either going to teach history. Yeah, I was about to say be a teacher or e. go to law school. Or yeah. yeah. So okay, but pause on this story real quick. Yep. You're a Cleveland boy, and you just picked up, went to New York City. I, I did. Were you like lost? <laughs> my uh, my family was a little dismayed, but not but not really. It was a place we had gone a lot. And um, so you lived in New York, and then chose to voluntarily return to Cleveland. Right. You're right. getting okay. to that point. Right. So. <laughs> Law school application process, you know, shoot for the moon and maybe do something a little more practical. I, I am a Cleveland kid. I am a, a, a Northern Ohio Lake Erie kid at heart. So I think I was a little burned out with New York and I'm like, all right, I'll go back to school in Ohio for law school. I did that for a year and then I realized that I really hated it. You went to law school for a year. I went to law school at University of Toledo. All right. Okay. I think law school is anyone that goes to law school will tell you it's very different than a high school experience or a college liberal arts experience. It's very cut and dry. And I'm for you getting to know me and those that do know me know I'm not very cut and dry. So, you know, four years living in New York City uh, as a college person was uh, incredible. It probably was actually not a bad move to move back home to <laughs> I was like can I get in on some of those stories because the, I feel like there's yep. got to be some stuff in there that's not safe for podcasting but probably are really good to hear yeah yeah um <laughs> we can record that separately have uh, have a drink or two and then maybe you guys can decide <laughs> what maybe or not what record not to it. share yeah maybe not record it yeah also the beauty of being a 90s uh, kid that we don't have recordings of ourselves mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. just have pictures and albums oh did you ever yeah. go stand outside a TRL while you were living in New yes, York? Twice. <laughs> hey, I did. Hey, I did that, Amanda. I went to Letterman. I was on Ricky Lake in the audience. Calm down. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't actually like, is this the baby's daddy? I, I'm actually. Uh, I was in the audience. On Ricky Lake, I loved her. On Ricky Lake. Oh my gosh. So uh, yeah, went to law school for a year in. Uh, uh, beautiful Toledo, Ohio. I actually am not being funny. I like Toledo. It's come a long way and uh, and I have a, a little place in my heart for it. But it just wasn't for me. I did okay and uh, thought I would stick it out, but did a lot of soul searching. I was dealing with, frankly, I was dealing with coming out in in the early 2000s. And I think it's a little different than coming out in 2022. So I came back to Cleveland and Jones Day was gracious enough to let me pick up where I left off. And I, uh, in a short amount of time, became a paralegal, filling my time and working on some pretty, pretty fun stuff, bankruptcies of some pretty notorious names of things over the years, lots of mergers and acquisitions. And so I became a corporate paralegal. How was your background as a corporate paralegal? How has that helped you do a better job managing staff and managing paralegals on a regular basis? Yeah, good question. It definitely reminds you to think about both sides, right? It's easy to, when you become a manager, uh, a director, and, it's, and everything in between, to think about firm first, business first, et cetera. And I like to think that I bring it back around to the time where, you know, you were 
a timekeeper, where you were a, a staff person, where you're a professional that has certain knowledge, but you don't know everything that's going on at the firm. It really helps you remember why communication is important to every level of, of employee at the firm. I think that's a big thing. I'm actually reminded of that occasionally by a few of the paralegals here at work at the firm. They'll, they'll often say, you know, we kind of get lost in the shuffle. We're, we're not lawyers. We're not support staff, so we don't have like direct managers. So, you know, you as, at least at my firm, as the director of operations, you're our guy. So you've got to keep us informed, got to look out for us. So it's definitely helped me understand the relationship that group of folks has with the law firm and also that how important it is to keep everyone informed. That's an interesting point. But since you have that background as a paralegal, are there other things that you've done to help keep them feeling like part of the team, the paralegal team, as part of the greater team? I'd like to think so. Maybe we can get one of them on real quick. See <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> I think that even, it sounds crazy, but even something as simple as, you know, this attorney is leaving us for this in-house position. Let's transition their work. Let's make sure the client is being serviced properly. Let's make sure, you know, X, Y, Z. We obviously have these lists, Rob, uh, of things that we do. Either we follow a list or we do it instinctually. But often, like, like a paralegal might not, be, might not be on that list. And just checking to make sure that they're part of the team is really paramount. I mean, any, any good paralegal will tell you, please put me on a matter or a deal or a client relationship from the beginning. You know, you don't have to bill my time, but I just need, I'd like to be here. I'd like to be paying attention. I'd like to be in the know. So that way, when you do need me, it's not a big bum rush, catch up. Interesting. You know, bill my time for 10 hours and then I sort of fall off. It's really a nice and professional way to treat someone. And, and this, this goes for associates too. Any, any associate will tell you that they want to be part of something from, from A to Z. Well, I hear that too, not just from paralegals, but all matters like legal assistants who will say, yep. well, if I'm not copying on every single email, then how can you expect me to really know the case? How can you expect me to get my hands into this and know and understand all the key players? And that's a really good point with paralegals because they are billable members of the team. And so reading an email could be a billable task for them. And so there's yeah. a hesitation to send them a copy of an email that they that we don't want to have to build a client for. But by doing that, you, as you're saying, are taking them out of the loop where they could have a value add. And that's really crucial. So that's a really good. But um, Amanda, I, you know what I tell them? And, I, and any one of them, I hope you would ask, would say this. That's not your job. Your job is to not decide what's important, what's billable, what's right. not. The attorney who is the billing attorney responsible for it should want that on. And yes, it will come through on a pre-bill, but guess what? You can just write it off. It's okay. You know what, Kyle, if I had a dollar for every single time I had told somebody, don't self-audit, just record the work you were doing, yep. I could stop working full-time <laughs> And go to my non-paid gig as a podcast host. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so, so, Kyle, I did a an employee onboarding here at Centerbase. And part of that, or at least what I do for that, is talking about the structure of a law firm and 
and talking about firm administrators, people in operations. And I talk about how becoming a firm administrator, there's not a clear path all the time, right? People come from different backgrounds. There are very few programs that that teach you how to be one. So when you went from a paralegal to operations, you know, what were those big curveballs or those big things that you had to learn on the job right as you got started? What happens is your phone rings one day and it's late in 2009, I mean like really late, and a former partner at your firm says, would you like to quit your job and start a law firm with us? (laughs) And you say, can I call you back? (laughs) (laughs) And then they actually text you like four hours later and they're like, are you still thinking about it? (laughs) I wasn't kidding. uh, Yeah. And she said, you know, we'll, we'll pay you and we'll somehow figure out for you to have health insurance, even if we have to pay for a couple of months for you to go to the doctor. I'm like, uh, okay, I'll quit tomorrow. So oh, that's nice. Yeah. Wait, you really so, did that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. To answer your question, Rob, because specifically you don't really, I mean, unless you have a business degree and you just sort of happen to become a paralegal through that you don't generally with a poli sci degree and six, seven, eight years of experience as a paralegal know how to run a law firm. It helps to have worked at one since you were 17 and know how it works and know how deals work. I think the corporate M&A background I had was really helpful. I did some real estate stuff. So that was sort of hands-on helpful, but you, you don't really know how to obtain malpractice insurance in five minutes for a group of lawyers. You don't know how to start a 401k plan from scratch and that it requires all kinds of regulations. You know, <laughs> you like, just go into the bank with a blank check and be like, can yeah. I start a 401k now, please? Oh, talk about, talk about checks, uh, Amanda. <laughs> I signed my own first check made out to myself. Oh yeah. yeah. And so Good the bank called, control there. yeah, the bank called and was like, um, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> so there was a lot of hands-on experience, Rob, but I was telling Amanda, you just make one goal a day. I mean, your yep. list is long, but if you like figured out how to get the contract signed for Westlaw and get that off your plate, you've scored. Yeah, I always make the joke, you know, we've grown a lot too. And and some days you feel like you're falling. I just try to lean forward and fall in the right direction. Yep. I mean, center base wasn't there when we were doing this in, I don't think, in 2009. But if it were, it would be one of the ones I would have talked to and leaned hard on. You know, that's, (laughs) that's why we call our friends in this industry, uh, we don't call you guys vendors. We call you business partners for a very distinct reason. We so. also don't call them friends if we can help it. So, I see. I see. <laughs> so Kyle, other than learning on the... He just blows right through me. At... Yeah, I, I just ignore Amanda. Just you know, she likes to, t- she likes to take these little jabs and make these little comments. But, <laughs> you know, going past Amanda, other than just learning on the fly as you are doing the job, did you use resources within the ALA or what are other ways that you, you know, gained that knowledge as you went? So at the firm I was at, at the time, 
I, I reached out to the former office regional director and I said, this is what I'm doing. And she said, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, am I crazy? And she goes, yeah, but so what? She said, have you joined ALA yet? And this was, I'm not kidding you, like four days into giving my notice and I hadn't even started squatting in the conference room of the office of the firm that this this uh, these partners were leaving. They didn't know about that. By the way, it's okay. We can talk about it now because they're no longer in business. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ALA became, I know this is so corny, like it's, well, I guess it might be corny to people outside of the industry, but it's such a huge part of our professional lives. It just, it really is. There was a program at the time literally made for me and about 12 or 14 other people who got on planes and flew out to Denver at the time. And it was called ECLA. Oh, yeah. Essentials of... Essential competencies or something. Yeah, literally, oh my God, I think it was called the competencies. Like, this is just going to (laughs) barely get you by, but please come to this and pay attention so you can become a competent law firm administrator. Semi-competent law firm We'll teach you how to not lose your job. Yep, perfect. And I did it, and I learned a ton. I used that binder that four or five inch binder several times over the first you know year or two. But the network I built was was fast and furious. Again, I was already in the industry, so it made it a little easier. But I would tell anyone getting into it, you absolutely have to join ALI and you absolutely have to pay attention. Whether that's at the chapter level, if you don't join a chapter, you have to be involved at the national level with the, with the resources. It's, it's so key to, to not losing your mind. Well, you sound um, like you also had a firm that supported that professional development, right? Because I guess instantly. they know coming in, we're hiring somebody who doesn't know how to sign up a health insurance plan or somebody yep. who doesn't know how to sign a new copier contract. And so they must have done that because they saw something in you, but knowing that they were going to have to invest in your professional development to learn all those things. You know, I Is that something fortunate. you all ask for? Yeah. And you guys are going to a new firm? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, Robin, I don't know if everyone's done this the whole time, but I learned this from someone who changed firms years ago in the Cleveland market. She said, you know, I, I made sure this was in my agreement, right? Mm. in my offer letter that the firm will pay for my membership annually to national, to uh, Cleveland, and one maybe once a year or once every other year to an annual conference or something like that. So. Yeah, it's become a negotiating piece for us, but it shouldn't be a hard sell if if you can show the value uh, of the membership, which isn't really that hard to do. But Rob, you know, I actually I actually tell people that all the time when they're asking me questions about, you know, it's a really hard. We have a hard position, and t- sometimes negotiating salary for us is difficult. I mean, it is for anybody, but I always tell them. You know, when you're going to your firm and you're talking about salary or you're talking about bonuses, that's a great time to think about the intangible things or I'm sorry, the unmonetary or what's the word I'm looking for? Okay. 
non-monetary. It's a great time to talk. Well, but it is monetary, right? So it's a good time to talk about the stuff that can help your professional development. And those are things like conference attendees and things like that. And it's, you know, it's a way for the firm to get you a benefit that's not straight to your paycheck, but there's a lot of reasons why you both might want that. And so I, I encourage administrators all the time that if they are trying to figure out how they can get their firm to support ALA that they previously didn't and they do now to, to bring it up at that time. It's a really good Sounds like a great that. webinar. Oh dear. <laughs> we uh-huh. have, we have, ALA has something called a justification toolkit that yes. helps you justify both your membership and attending conference. And it's really helpful. Imagine that Rob, we have to have a toolkit <laughs> so that we can justify to a room full of lawyers why it makes sense for us to be professionally developed, but I digress. I get it. That's I tough. digress. So Kyle, you've talked about it a little bit, but, uh, and I wasn't on the pre-recording, but I heard about, you know, this firm you're talking about, you started it and got it up and running in seven weeks. Could yeah. you go into that more? Some of the first thing you, some of the first things you had to deal with some of those obstacles. The first thing I I personally had to deal with. So again, remember this is, 2009 we had to open we had to open our doors on January 1st of 2010 so we're not we're barely post recession i i think if you would google it it's not really even post recession it's you want to start a law firm in 2009 and people were like no we were like <laughs> we're we're like yes it was kind of interesting we were in the same building as my former firm Awkward elevator rides occasionally, <laughs> more than occasionally, but only two floors up. And so I became a squatter in this sort of sad hand-me-down conference room with mauve swivel chairs. And that's where, <laughs> uh, on, a, on a laptop that we, you know, we just sort of rigged up to the Wi-Fi, and that's where I started now there were some you know there were some things in place because a lot the lawyers were coming from a firm in which they liked certain things so they wanted to keep right so that's kind of easy a little easier you have the relationships kind of but then they had a lot of things they didn't like and wanted to, to start anew and that's the beauty of being able to have your own name on the door so you have to start with things like setting up the bank account getting the software the bank in place, account. leases the 401k that you guys mentioned, or maybe that comes later. Who's well, doing this job, Rob? Did you get a promotion that I didn't hear about? Or maybe a demotion? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah, all, all of that stuff. So the bank account's a, a funny thing, right? You could write a two or three page letter to the bank and it would say things like, here are our projected financials and we swear we're going to make millions. <laughs> and these are... These are our clients, and two of them have written letters of recommendation for us. <laughs> You're like, oh shit, fingers crossed. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, we got a line of credit, and then we needed to buy phone systems. Like, oh wow, the phone systems will make or break your career, at least at a law firm. I just replaced our phone system, so wish you me do? luck. <laughs> How'd you do? So far, so good, <laughs> okay. but maybe let's check back in before this goes live. I might need to re-record the intro. Your, your title? I need to re-record the title. 
former director. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff. But you know, and and the littler things, you know, you're you're bringing over a lot of files and and you're bringing over the good, but you're also bringing over the bad. So you're bringing over some bad habits. You've got to try to break people from saying, well, at Shlemiel and Shlemazel, LLP, this is <laughs> Wait a how minute. we... Rob's not going to get that. Pull oh, that reference I didn't. back. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, well. <laughs> Keep going. That's, that's really good. Uh, okay. How about this? At... Center Dewey, base. Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> yeah, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. At Center Base, not a law firm, LLC, you have people who are like, well, that's not how we did it. Well, we've been doing it for 17 years this way. Y you know, get, getting people out of those habits is tough. That sort of, I found to be a little bit harder than the I can get through this list and do it pretty well from A to Z. It's dealing with the people a lot more, right? So as a paralegal, I, my bosses were lawyers and I managed deals and I managed closings and I managed, you know, my relationship with my secretary, but I didn't have to, to deal with, you know, I, I was the HR manager and the operations manager and the insurance risk manager and everything else that was unique yeah i always say it's the hardest job you have to keep the staff happy the attorneys and partners happy and the clients happy and amanda will tell you she'll start with a list of things at the in, at the beginning of the day and not get through a single one right right amanda yeah well yeah it's funny because he was talking about needing to renew the westlaw contract and that's literally been sitting on my desk for oh i don't know 60ish days now as and soon as so this it, goes live you're gonna get all the calls no i know oh i know i just need to do it like it's 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 up in like yeah. within 30 days and i just need to do it and i just haven't yet because yeah things happen all of a sudden and i can't you know when i joined legal i remember coming in this bright-eyed you know, bushy tailed little young girl. And I didn't know what I didn't know. I can't imagine having come in and not knowing, like not even knowing, not, not having any systems in place, right? We at least had, you know, an accounting system and a time and billing system and trust accounting was already established. And I could just pick up and learn those little pieces, but not having any of that background. So Kyle, hats off to you the uh, for going through that. Well, um, thank you. And I, and I say this, I say this uh, not to be a, a, a horn tutor. Go ahead and toot your horn. But Go ahead. Go ahead. Toot it. But what I, no, but what I can say to that is, is that, is that no one can take that away from me. That's so true. there's a lot yeah. of unique experiences as, as a person in legal management. And, you know, we've got every type of legal managers, like 80, what, 85, 8,800 members of ALA. No one has the same story, but it's kind of cool to be able to say, at least mine, just of starting that uh, firm, that, that no one can take that away from me. I'm not sure I want to do it every couple of years or so. Um, <laughs> I may actually not ever want to do it again, but uh, those who are listening and you might need a law firm administrator who you um, want to pay very handsomely to start a law firm for you from scratch. Uh, Amanda has my number. Um, hopefully my partners are not listening. 
Okay, but I think that everybody needs, in all fairness, needs to know that the law firm you started really only existed for seven years before you ran it into the ground. Is that correct? Ah, uh, yep, yep. <laughs> it was a real, real shit show. Are Hopefully we allowed people kept it? listening before they reached out to you, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cancel, cancel. Cancel um, that email, pull that back. I know you're just being adorable because that's you. <laughs> In fact, we were in business from 2010, January of 2010, till the end of August of 2018, so just shy of nine years. And in fact, we were acquired. We did not close. That was right. just a joke. Um, <laughs> we were acquired by Browse McDowell, which is my current firm. And so the beauty of it is I've gotten to keep working with a really big percentage of the people who were at the firm at the time at this new firm. Well, it's not really new anymore. I mean, you've grown because you said that the firm that you started, there was three attorneys and now you guys have 60. Is that what I heard you say? We grew our firm from uh, 11 at the time up to 23 and then over the eight year period. And then, you know, we right sized a little and I can't remember the exact amount of attorneys we had when we joined Browse, but Browse was around 60 so odd attorneys in three offices. Now we are 83 attorneys in five offices. So, so you're added, a pretty big deal is what you're saying? Uh, I'm a medium, medium <laughs> to big deal. Kyle, how was it to be acquired, right? Being on the other end. That's another uh, unique thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How was that experience? Did you have a lot of fears going into it that you were going to be redundant? Uh, yeah, definitely. You could tell me, you could give me all the assurances in the world that I wouldn't be, which, which was the case. But funny, <laughs> funny what you learn from people who you become very close with at your new firm, that in fact, you were discussed <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite frequently. Not, and I don't think quite frequently is right, but you were discussed here and there. You know, what are we going to do with this guy? <laughs> and and I, and I will admit, closing down a law firm is also a very unique experience, right? You don't just email the Secretary of State and shut off your company and just go away. It's extensive. There's malpractice, tail insurance. There's mm -hmm. dealing with maybe an item that you had on that list. Uh, maybe you had a, a, a claim going on. There's trailing, there's trailing AR to, to capture for God, if you let yourself You might forever. actually have to reconcile that trust account finally. Right? I, <laughs> I couldn't wait to close the trust account. Oh my God. Oh, the 401k. Oh my God. You basically have to contact anyone that's ever participated in your 401k. Uh -huh. um, that's, I'm, I'm generalizing, but it is hateful. But it's, um, Browse allowed me the time that we needed at the time to properly close the firm down respectfully and didn't expect me to wear 10 hats at the new firm. In all seriousness, like it's unique to close a law firm down, but I had the support of the firm to get done what I needed to get done. When I worked at my first firm, we were a smaller firm. I think we had less than 20 attorneys. And at one point there were talks to join in with another small firm. 
And that firm already had a firm administrator who had been in legal for a very long time. And the question of my redundancy came up very early on. And from what I understand, there were entire conversations about, well, who's going to run the new firm? Is it going to be this person? Is there going to be that person? And luckily we didn't end up going, but they did tell me that had it happened, I would have been the person running the firm. Ah, uh, yeah. But I'm sure they told him the exact same thing. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, what do you think? Who do you think would have went out? I don't have a comment. Come on. An opinion. <laughs> it would have been me. He knows I'm the greatest. Come I mean, on. I know that, but just want to make sure. Yeah, you know, funny... Funny, funny that uh, there was a there was actually an unfilled position at Browse at the time it was called the director of administration, and they had done without one for um, a couple maybe a couple few years. Um, she had gone to another firm, and um, you know they were making do. And what we realized is, and you know at the time it was like, do we really need this position? Do we really need this salary? Do we really need this? We've been doing without it. And what various other departments at the firm who report up to this director of administration, who were at the time were reporting up just to the director of ops, was they were getting almost, I mean, and rightfully so, they were getting almost no attention from, from that director level person because there was just so much other stuff to do. So we could focus on improving HR functions. We could focus on the fact that we had, you know, records retention. I mean, we're a 102-year-old law firm that we have records in off-site storage that are decades and decades and decades old that we just hadn't, weren't able to focus on. And I was able to to develop new uh, new procedures for our our records clerk to follow. And you know, it just it just allowed for one more voice at that level for everybody else. The paralegals, like we discussed, to have someone who felt they felt they could come to uh, and who would return their calls and deal with some issues, just sort of sort of that. And how it ended up working out was my boss last year at the end of June retired. So it was a natural, by the way, she did an incredible job of transitioning, which speaks volumes of her over the six to nine months, more like nine plus months, transition into her retirement of all the operations stuff. So that didn't get lost. So now your title is director of operations. Right. And I have been coaching you because you're going to go in and ask for executive director title, yep. right? Yes. You're just going to throw it out there and just shoot from the hip and just make it happen. Pew, 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 pew. 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 <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a very similar role. We talked about this, right? So Rob, you and I have talked before about how titles can sometimes tell you what somebody's job is or within a law firm. And Kyle and I have almost identical operational functions, except he has a bigger firm. But other than that, it's it all kind of rolls over the same thing. Like you're managing HR and IT and records and facilities and all those things. And so I told him recently, you know, just go in, go in for the big title. I wonder if Big Daddy is available. <laughs> just gonna go knock on his door no, no he wants the title I will be big daddy, big daddy Rob. Oh. oh my god keep up keep up i caught uh, that oops. <laughs> Rob. i thought you were going in a different direction 
you've met me long. You've met me now at least enough to know that. Uh, no, no, I need to be. He needs to be the big daddy. You need to be big daddy. Okay, fair enough. Speaking of big daddy, Kyle, I want to talk about the foundation for a minute. So, you know, when we started this podcast, I went to Amanda and I said, hey, how can we give back to the ALA? I wanted to to see if we could do anything. And, And she brought up the foundation. I didn't know anything at the time about the foundation. So, could you speak for a minute about what the foundation means to you and then also what the foundation does for others? I could speak for many minutes about this. So let's start with why it's important to me. So the, the woman, the person who, who said to me 16 seconds into quitting my job, you need to join the ALA is a former, um, I think we name names on this podcast, don't yes, we? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Wendy Wendy Rice Isaacs. Um, Love Wendy. Very, yeah, a very good friend, a very tenured former. She's uh, kind of the epitome president. of passion for this association. Yeah, for this association and for for her career, not only got me to join, but many years later called me. I thought very. Um, very innocently, just sort of, hey, can I talk to you about something? <laughs> She's super famous for that. <laughs> um, and uh, 90 minutes later, I'm I'm on the I'm still on the phone with her, and she's telling me that the, how the foundation, uh, how important the foundation is to the ALA. And I was uh, I was sold. So at the time, it was a foundation. It was a charity in flux. We kind of had to decide what we were going to do with this money we already had. Were we going to keep doing the initiatives that were already on the books? Were we going to reinvent? So fast forward, we reinvented. Um, It is what it is today. I got to stand on stage last year, and uh, which was a a really huge professional. You did a great job. Highlight. Thank you so much. And tell everyone at both CLI and at the national conference, why the foundation is important. And I've had more people than I can count on all of my digits uh, say to me that they get it now. They, they get the foundation. They understand why it's important. The mission of educating our existing members and finding new members, not only for the association, but for our field. Okay. Right. Everything is changing. I mean, can't find uh, waiters and waitresses these days. You also can't find people who are like, I want to be a legal secretary. So we're, I mean, we're all in this flux uh, right now. And, and it's been going on in our world, I'd say, Amanda, for quite some time. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, it's really important to me personally. And the way Wendy and the board over a, about a two to three year period before the, um, the pandemic really took hold um, to reinvent this foundation to making it a very um, succinct grouping of initiatives that people can see what we do, people can see why we do it, and people like uh, Rob and and um, and Evan and, and those at Centerbase could see the importance of it. I mean, I'll never forget, Rob, you guys said, this is easy for us. This is a no-brainer when you donated to the foundation. And um, I'm really proud of that. And and we're continuing to get a lot of interest from donations from other business partners, from other chap from chapters. 
Well, and it's because we started something amazing uh, with our new don- donation, and people are just yeah, you're falling along behind us, right? You're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely we jumped right. Out. But but I mean, you know, not to toot our own horn, but that's exactly the point. Like what you were just saying, make Rob's point is that the foundation it's doing a lot of great things to grow the note the notoriety and the importance of this profession not just within legal and not just with existing administrators but also helping develop this future the the administrator of the future and what that looks like and and this concept of coming in as a paralegal and not knowing what you're doing like our i think our end goal and i don't want to speak for you Kyle and the whole foundation is that you know when we're ready to hang in you know, when we're ready to throw in the towel and be done with our career, I'd like it to be a career that other people have known and heard of, and they're going to go to school and that's what they're going to do. They're, they're, I mean, maybe that's shooting for the, the clouds, right? Maybe we're never going to get somebody who writes when they're third grade on a little sheet of paper. I want to be a law firm manager someday, but, (laughs) but maybe you come out of college and think, okay, there's a a career for me there. I can go, go do that. So I think that that's, a lot of what the foundation is trying to do. And I think giving to it and giving back to it, Rob, both from a business partner standpoint, and then also from our members is really the future growth of this profession. By the time this airs, uh, it'll be more than public information that we just awarded two more scholarships to two students and one in a master's program, a master's of legal administration, and one in a uh, paralegal role who wants to become like a finance director at a law firm. I mean, so they're they are out there and we're finding them and we're and we're trying to award them scholarships to build the next generation. I can't wait. Yep. I was going to say Amanda and, th- and that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast too, right? It's an underserved community. It's an underserved group of people and we wanted to help amplify it. We wanted to get the message out there and it's been a lot of fun for both of us, I think. Some days tell. more fun than others. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners can tell. The long pause. What's the jab going to be? Go ahead. There nothing, you go. You got nothing. it out. I would no jab, no jab, no jab. Some days it's just harder to tolerate you than others. <laughs> huh. Oh, Rob. moving right along. Moving right along. Okay. So Kyle, the very last segment we do is called Pitch Your Passion. And this is where we want you to take a few minutes. And, you know, we did talk about the foundation a lot already. So you could talk about that or anything else that's important to you. So take it away. I obviously am very passionate about the foundation. I would encourage uh, anyone listening to this. uh, You are at least somewhat, if not mostly, you see what I did there? Interested yeah, in legal <laughs> um, in our industry. I knew you'd get there. Uh, and and so I would encourage you to go on to alanet.org uh, foundation slash foundation and, and read more about that. There's things on social, on uh, email blasts, on um, YouTube channels, and maybe we can find a recording of me on stage last year. But so that's probably enough of that. If you don't mind, I'd like to talk about the Queer Youth Initiative at the uh, LGBT Center in Cleveland. Pretty early on in my post-college professional career, I was working at a firm at the time. Uh, I'll say it because they have an extremely strong allyship program and 
and support network at work. Uh, it's a firm called Voris. Um, Voris, Sater, Seymour, and P is actually in an Ohio-based firm. I think they're up to three or 400 attorneys at this point. I felt so comfortable there that I came out at work. Yeah, I had been coming out slowly, but yeah, and, and in 2000 and, oh gosh, at the time it was maybe three, three or four, um, 2003, 2004, you know, it was, it was there, but it wasn't, it's not like it is now. I, you know, I can bring my fiance to, to anything and not even think about it. Um, at, and I wouldn't be at a firm that I, that wouldn't be, but, um, but I digress. So this center in Cleveland is, um, a place for, any and everyone. It's extremely inclusive. It's, um, I'm in fact, just got a text from my dad, uh, my 75 year old uh, cisgender, heterosexual, married to my mom for 52 or three years, dad, who told me, um, well, I'm gonna go to my second day of volunteering at the center. He's working the front desk. He's doing like, um, uh, support group stuff. He's learning all this stuff so late in life because it's so important to us as a family to support this organization that provides support to I'm getting people. a little misty-eyed. Uh, well, it's 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 all the truth. And who don't don't do that now. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm gonna try not to. Um, it it's just so necessary. And and I focus on in my volunteer time. Uh, which I haven't been able to do a, a ton of, but when I when I donate um, funds personally, or I say to, or I, I've been asked this question as um, as board members of other organizations, what would you like us to donate to? The owners of my spin studio, of whom I'm with, whom I'm very good friends, we do a ride every year and we donate uh, as much money up to upwards of a thousand dollars. This queer youth initiative program gives these kids one of the only, some of them, one of their only outlets, period, in life at the time to be affirmed, to be safe, to, oh God, you're going to have to start talking. It's just really important that, <clears throat> nope, 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 back it up. Can't do it. I cry, I cry. Um, Keep going. A, a, uh, the, the <laughs> Come on, Rob. Help me out here. Say something. Okay, so Say something. it's right. an organization so, that gives so it's an organization just, that gives people a chance it, to it, have an outlet that they would not normally have in their well, regular day to day lives. Yes, and 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 it's just it's just a place where you can go and be safe, and play yeah. games, and be be a kid, and be uh, yourself, and not worry about what other people are thinking. So how can we help? Is it you, you want to give us a website? Yeah, let's do that. It's LGBT Cleveland. Dot org. Awesome. And we will link that in the show notes for everybody, which you can find on mostlylegalpodcast.com. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciated your time. And I know we were a little bit all over the place, but thanks for <laughs> hanging in there with us. That sums me up. And I, <laughs> so, I wouldn't want it any other way. Honestly. The fact that we stayed as on track as we all did, I feel like we deserve uh, a reward for that. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com 
where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.